Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Yeah, kids, we are always happy to have you in here with us. And I want to tell you that a couple of things are true. Okay, this is true. All of the Bible, all of what we call scripture is important. All of it is without error. It's not wrong. There's nothing wrong in it. It's true. It's God's word and it's all valuable. Okay. But I also will be honest with you. There's some passages when we just read them that are a little harder to understand and understand why they matter. Or understand how does this connect to my life or anything like that. And today's passage is honestly one of those that you do have to work a little harder to find out what is God saying in this that relates to me. Okay? Um, And it's there, but I'll tell you, even as pastor, I really had to do some digging to figure this one out. On what what does this have to do with us? How is this valuable for our church? Um, one, one possible uh, way that this passage is valuable um, is if any of you have trouble going to sleep, um, you might want to, to read Genesis 36. Um, and it worked great for me yesterday. I had a great nap yesterday afternoon while I was in the middle of working on the sermon. So, um, so that might be God's purpose in this passage for you, um, is to help you, uh, with any sleep issues. Um, but in all, all seriousness, it, it is, there is some good stuff in here, but we, we have to work a little harder to get to it. Okay. Um, so you guys bear with me as we jump into this and, uh, and we'll see some things that, that I think are very important. And there's definitely reasons why this is here in the Bible and why it's a part of God's word. Okay. But we're going to have to do a little work to get to it, um, to fully understand it and see how it, how it connects to us. Okay. So let's jump in. We're going to read Genesis 36 together and then we'll, uh, go back and dig a little deeper. Okay. So these are the generations of Esau. Can any of the kids remind me who Esau's brother was? Jacob, right. Um, and so they were the sons of Isaac, right? Uh, so these are the generations of Esau. This, that is Edom, okay? So Esau is also known as Edom. That's important to know. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Aholiabama, uh, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite. And Basemath, Ishmael's brother, I mean Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nabioth. And Ada uh, bore to Esau Eliphaz, Basemath bore Reuel, and Aholibama bore Jeush, Jalem, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Now, those of you who are very astute biblical scholars uh, might have noticed different names for Esau's wives here uh, than how they were named earlier in Genesis. It's okay. They just had two names. It's the same person, all right? Um, it's kind of like some good friends of mine. Uh, her, her name was Eleanor, and when she got married, her husband said, you know what? 
I don't really like the name Eleanor. I'm going to call you Joe. Um, and so for the rest of her life, she went by Joe. Um, so I think it's kind of like that here. I think Esau just had different names for his wives after they got married. And so it's like, okay, this is the way it is. Um, so verse six, then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into, the, into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their last livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir, um, and so Esau is Edom. Verse 9, these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the name of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Ada, uh, the wife of Esau, Reuel, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatar, and Kenaz. Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, and Esau's son, Shebor, Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Reuel, Nahath, Zerah, Shema, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ohilabama, uh, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz and the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs of Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, Amalek. All these are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Ada. These are the sons of Reuel. Esau's sons, the chiefs, Nahath, Zerah, Shema, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Reuel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholiabama, Esau's wife. The chiefs, Jeush, Jalem, Korah. These are the chiefs born of Oliabama, the daughter of Ana, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau. These are Edom. These are their chiefs. Anybody ready for their nap yet? <laughs> well, you see, the valuable stuff here. Save a lot on prescription drugs. All right, just read this. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ana, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom, the sons of Lotan, were Hori and Heman, uh, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvin, Manahath, Ebal, Shephipho, and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion, Ea, Ana, and he. He is the Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. He found the hot springs, guys. Yay. Awesome. All right, these are the children of Ana, Dishan and Oholibama, the daughter of Ana. These are the sons of Dishan, Himdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Chiran. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavan, and Achan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz and Aran, these are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ana, Dishan, Ezer, and Dashan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. These are the chiefs who reigned in the land of Edom um, before any king reigned over the Israelites. Now, that verse actually comes into some scholarly debate over uh, Genesis. Um, because the argument is, well, if Moses wrote this, then why would he say before there were kings of the Israelites? Because at his time, there still wasn't kings of the Israelites. 
um, to which I don't really see that that's a compelling argument that Moses didn't write this um, because Moses was kind of prophetic and I think he kind of knew that kings were to come um, for the Israelites. So I think he's just pointing out, yeah, they already had kings anyway. So glad we had that moment. Uh, Bala, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, the name of his, his city being Dinahabah. Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, reigned in his place. Jobab died, and Husham, the land of the Tenonites, reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place. And the name of the city being Avith. Hadad died, and Samla of Maskara reigned in his place. And Samla died, and Shaul of Rehoboth of the Ephrates reigned in his place. And Shaul died, and Bala Hanan of the son of Akbor reigned in his place. And Bala Hanan the son of Akbor died, and Hadad reigned in his place. The name of his city being Pau. His wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Metred, daughter of Mezahaba. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their clans and their dwelling places. By their names, the chiefs, Timnah, Alva, Jetheth, Aholibama, Elah, Penan, Kenaz, Teman, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Eram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. So, congratulate yourself for making it through that. Um... But here, here's, here's one thought, kids, on why it's important that we have passages like this in the Bible. What this does is this tells us this is historical. These were real people that lived in a real time, in a real place, who had real kids, and their kids had kids, and their kids had kids, and that's how things got to be to where they are today, Okay? So when we see these kind, of, these kind of passages in Scripture, we don't need just to be like, oh, this is just whatever. No, this is telling us like, that the Bible is real. It gives validity to it because it's saying, hey, this, this is something that happened, and here's where it happened, how it happened, and the context it happened in, even including some kid finding the hot springs, right? Like this, and, and they could, people reading this later on in, in that part of the world could go and say, oh, yeah, there's the hot springs. They're still here, Right? And so it gives context to Scripture. And so don't just take these passages and say, oh, well, that doesn't have anything for me. You say, no, like, yeah, this, this tells me that this is real. Another thing that this is doing here at the beginning in Genesis, which Genesis is kind of the, the start of the Bible, right? It's laying the, the foundation. It's laying the groundwork for what we see running through the rest of Scripture. A major, major theme starts right here in Genesis. And it's the theme of the fact that you, did you catch it early on there in, uh, in verses uh, six through eight? Esau takes his family and all of his stuff and he moves away from his brother Jacob because the land of Canaan where they were both living wasn't big enough for all of them. And this is a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament is that there's these different people groups, okay? And several of them come, in, come out of this line of Esau, okay? Uh, and so, um, so yeah, several of these names, uh, you just put ites at the end of it, and then you see them showing up throughout the rest of Scripture, 
um, because they were descendants of these people. And these are the people that throughout the rest of the Old Testament we see in constant conflict with the Israelites. So even as, as God has given the Israelites the promised land later on, uh, there's constant conflict and turmoil up against these people. It's kind of this kind of constant battle going back and forth. And so it's good for us to just in knowing the Bible to understand the framework in which it came from and, and, and how they ended up in the situation that they find themselves in. And so we see here that Canaan was not big enough for both Jacob's family and Esau's family and all of their livestock. It just wasn't, wasn't even at that point much less as they go down the line and they turn from thousands into millions of people. It became even more of a conflict, even more of an issue that we see in scripture. And we frequently see, kind of especially in the Old Testament, that, that this line, this line of, of Esau, is kind of known as, as the ungodly people who are against God, who are against um, the Israelites, against God's people. And so we can see all of that starting here. Another point, another thing we can see out of this passage is we, we've already covered in Genesis the fact that, uh, that Esau lost his birthright, right? To, to who? S- same answer as before, Jacob. All right, good job, guys. Um, and so, uh, so he lost his birthright to Jacob. Why? Because he was hungry and he sold it for a pot of soup, right? Um, and then after that, Jacob tricked their father into blessing him instead of blessing Esau. And so he also lost his blessing. Um, and so you would kind of think from that that well, Esau's trajectory was going to kind of be pretty bleak, right? Like he lost all this stuff to his brother. Scripture is pretty clear that, that Jacob is the favored one, that Jacob's the one that even God chose. And, and we've seen those passages really laid out. Um, and yet then we come to this passage and we see... Esau, by earthly standards, seems to have been a very blessed man as well. He had a huge family. He had tons of stuff as well. It wasn't just that Jacob had all these livestock filling up there. You know, Esau had livestock too, that both of them couldn't stay in the same area, so he moved off. And, uh, and so, so in that, we can, we can probably make a lot of different applications uh, for ourselves. Uh, but I'll make this one. Maybe, maybe this, don't judge spiritual realities based on earthly outcomes. Scripture is clear about where Esau is versus where Jacob is as far as in, in relationship with God and a part of God's plan and all of that. But if you just look at it from an earthly outcome, you probably look at the two of them like, yeah, they both did pretty well, Right? Um, and so as, as we are going through this life, we can't just look at like, oh, well, who seems to be doing well and, and these kind of things on, on this level and say, oh, that, that must be because of their spiritual connection with God or, or whatever. Well, no, sometimes God's favor and good things happen even to those who, who aren't necessarily following him, who don't have a relationship with him. His grace extends Beyond, which is so incredible of God. So, so what else can we get out of this? This is where we really got to start to dig, okay? Because as I was saying, I think Genesis 36 is laying that foundation for so much of the rest of the Bible of understanding who these people are and where they came from, okay? 
Yeah, Moabites, Amorites, like all the, all the ites, right? Um, we see, see them started here. Um, and so we, we see that getting started, and we see them as we, as we read through the Old Testament, we, we, we see them as kind of seen as against God, against God's people, mostly, but not everywhere. And so I want us to dig into some of these other passages, okay? Uh, let's turn to Amos. We're going to be hitting some, some Old Testament prophets that you guys probably haven't uh, read lately. Um, actually, before Amos, I want to go to Obadiah, which is even more obscure. Anybody read Obadiah lately? It's literally a chapter. We don't know, we, we know really hardly anything about who Obadiah was, but he had a lot to say about Edom, which where do we see Edom getting started? Genesis 36. So let's see what Obadiah says. And I'm going to read the whole thing to you just because I know you haven't read it lately. So you're going to get more, more Bible today. The vision of Obadiah says this, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations and you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you and you live in the clefts of the rock. In your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, Though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves come to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasure sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall come you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for, for, for Jerusalem, you were like one of them, but you do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress, and do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of the calamity, and do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations did you catch that all the nations this is a theme as you have done it shall be done to you your deeds shall return on your head for as you have drunk on, on my holy mountain so all the nations shall drink continually they shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they have never been but in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. 
They shall burn them and consume them, and they shall be survivors of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Seraphath shall possess the cities of the Negev. And here, here's how he ends. This is the end of the whole book. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion. Where is that? Jerusalem. To rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So Obadiah is prophesying that a time is coming where there's going to be a savior. There's going to be saviors that come up. And there's going to be one of them that rules from Mount Zion. But he's going to rule over all of it. No longer is it going to be Edom and Israel. But it's going to be one kingdom. One ruler over all of it. And those of us who, who know a little bit of the Bible start to think Savior. Well, that reminds me of somebody. There's Jesus. He came. He died on a cross. He paid the punishment for sin by laying down his life for us. And what's going to happen? He's going to come again. And when he comes again, what's he going to do? He's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to reign. He's going to have on Mount Zion. He's going to have his holy city. And from there, he's going to reign and he's going to rule over all of the earth, including Edom or Mount Esau. So Obadiah here is prophesying over the destruction of, the, of Edom but yet he's also alluding to and pointing forward to that moment where Jesus is on his throne over everyone. Let's dig a little deeper. If we turn back a book to Amos now, in Amos chapter nine, starting in verse 11, I'm not gonna read, read the whole, I'm not reading all of Amos to you, okay? So take a breath, all right? But in Amos nine, starting in verse 11, it says this. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and repair, repair its, its breaches and raise up its ruins and build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Okay, so who, who do we know was the one who was raised up as the booth of David? Jesus. Again, we start to see Jesus and this connection between the prophets prophesying about Jesus, but also tying the connection in with Edom. So even in the Old Testament, we're seeing them prophesying about the relationship between Jesus and non-Jewish people, non-Israelites. So this is a theme running back, running through the Old Testament. So some people think this, this theme might have just came up in the New Testament. No, this was a theme that, that was already there. God's word was already showing that, hey, here's what's going to happen. And so, yes, he's going to raise up from the booth of David out of the line of David. That's why in another group of genealogies we have where so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so are in the New Testament where they're doing that with Jesus. And they're saying, hey, yeah, Jesus came from the line of David. Jesus fulfills all of these prophecies relating to David. Okay. And so we're starting to see that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. And you say, okay, well, 
That sounds like a good application, Wayne, but prove it. Okay, I won't, I won't stand on my own on this. Let's go to Acts 15. In Acts 15, uh, we have what they call the Jerusalem Council. And what's happened is Jesus has come. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead, paying the punishment for sin. And in that, he has brought life. Following that, the Holy Spirit came, and now the gospel is starting to spread, and people are becoming Christians, and it's spreading throughout the world. Um, First, it was mainly Jews, but then the exact same thing started happening to who they call Gentiles, which is Gentile just means anybody who's not a Jew. And so they're, they're, now the, the church leaders are getting together in Acts 15, and they're saying, okay, how do we resolve like these, these people? Because obviously being Jewish, we have certain customs and cultures that's, well, it, honestly, it's just Jewish. So how do we put together that, the things of that along with these Gentiles who also have the same hope as in Jesus as we do, but do we, how much of this Jewish stuff do we expect them to follow as well, right? And so like all, all of the things that Jews do, do all of the Gentile Christians have to do those things too? And that's the question, that's the problem they're having to resolve in Acts 15. And so James speaks up um, in, in Acts 15 And he actually goes back and he quotes that passage we just looked at in Amos, okay? And so here's what what James says. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. So he's saying, hey, yeah, the prophets have already said this was going to happen. Just as it was written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So James is saying, hey, here's the solution. It's already been given to us. We just got to look back. God said this was going to happen. He's doing it. Let's just get out of the way and let him do his thing. Basically, what James is saying is like, yeah, there's certain things that as a Christian you don't do, right? Like idol worship, stay away from it. Sexual immorality, don't go there. Not good, right? So he's like, yeah. And the other things we see in the New Testament that they they share for all of us, but he doesn't go into Sabbath regulations. He doesn't go into dietary laws. He doesn't go into all of these other Jewish customs and traditions and all these different feasts. And he doesn't say, hey, we have to make sure they're doing all of these things too. No, he just says, hey, yeah, God has said, here's what's going to happen. And it's happening. So let's let God work through that. And the advice we need to give them is, hey, just stay away from these things. 
And if that's a, a topic, a concept's interesting, keep reading in Acts 15 because it goes in more detail and you see the whole letter um, that they, they come together and write together. But yeah, so I think I'm in good company with James here, um, the way that he, he pulls this out because uh, there's also something very interesting he does as well. He slightly rewords Amos. And you're like, wait, can you do that? I'm like, well, it's in the Bible, so I think you can. Um, but instead of saying the remnant of Edom or the remnant of Esau, what does he say? He says the remnant of mankind. And I think that gives us a major key for understanding Genesis 36. I think in Genesis 36, as he start, as uh, Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is starting to lay the groundwork for the rest of Scripture, and he's pointing, painting the picture of like, hey, here's this group of people and how they got started. He's painting the picture of, hey, for everybody who's not a Jew, this is the rest of you. You're included. You're a part of the story. And that's been God's design from the very beginning. God's plan of salvation is for all peoples, all people groups. That's been his, his plan in Genesis. That was his plan through Obadiah, through Amos, through all of that. And definitely in Acts, we see that starting to happen where the gospel is being spread to all different people groups. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so as we look at this, I think we can see that, yes, Edom is representative of all of us who do not go back to a Jewish heritage. And so in that, we see in Genesis 36, we see ourselves. Like this, this is our story. I'm a part of this too. It's not just a Jewish thing. It's not just for this little select group. But no, it's for all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. Scripture tells us that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. When he is the one seated on that throne in Mount Zion, he's ruling over Edom, he's ruling over Asia, he's ruling over Europe, he's ruling over Africa, he's ruling over North America, he's ruling over South America, he's even ruling over Antarctica, whatever's going on down there. He's ruling over the whole thing. And that's the day that's to come, and that's the day where, where we all will worship him. But the fact is the, the, the judgments that are prophesied in Obadiah are also real too. That with him coming also comes judgment for those who aren't found to be in Christ. And so the important thing is, do we know Jesus? And kids, this is why, if, if I've lost you, come back in right now, kids, okay? Because I, I lost myself in there too, okay? So if I lost you, come back in. This is why I'm so glad you're in here. Because this, this truth, this fact that God's plan is salvation for all people... If you grasp this at this point in your life, you can do so much more with that than any of us old people can. You can be the ones who takes that message to all of the nations, to people everywhere. My prayer is that out of our church, we will see missionaries raised up, pastors raised up, preachers raised up, worship leaders raised up, youth pastors raised up, who will lead people from all tribes, all tongues, and all nations to Jesus. And I think that can start with some of you young people.
And that, that's not something you have to wait until you're older to do. That's something that you can do right now. As you go through your day, as you see people, as you see people that maybe look different from you, build relationships with them, speak to them, tell them about Jesus. As you go to your school, tell people about Jesus. You know what happened if I came to your school and started telling people about Jesus? Probably wouldn't go very well. You know what happened if you go into your school and start telling people about Jesus? Nothing. Right? And so kids, I, I hope that, that you, you get this. I hope, hope you get the importance of who Jesus is. And I hope you get how you can be a major part of him using you to spread the truth of the gospel to all peoples. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you that, that your, your gospel is for all of us, but it is for mankind. And Lord, I thank you that even though we as mankind sinned against you, you came and forgave. You brought redemption. You brought forgiveness. You paid the price that we owe so that we could be restored to you. Jesus, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today they might humble themselves and come before you and say, I need you, I need you, Jesus, as my Savior. Lord, I pray that all of us will be faithful and sharing that truth and sharing that gospel with those who need to hear. Because your word is true and it is good and it is for all people. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel